Ola Nation, this is Carlos Reyes, and welcome back to the realest podcast in the game where we bring you the cream of the crop. That's right, the top 1% of the world, and we dig deep to see what makes them tick. Today, we have a very, very, very special guest. We have the CEO, co-founder of Cardone Ventures and many other ventures along the journey, right? Mr. Brandon Dawson, welcome to the show, my brother. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having for, me on your show. Man, guys. thanks for yeah, making it happen. It's great to be here. Thanks for making it happen. And uh, man, I just want to say, you know, you've been making a lot of noise lately. I didn't know who you were up until a few months ago. And now everybody, like, it's, I mean, it is, it's out there. You're doing a great job with everything that you're doing from building your businesses to, you know, branding yourself to, you know, everything. It's all working, you know, and I think it's going to get better and better and better, God willing, right? Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know uh, when I sold my last business. I'd done 10 years worth of research looking at market opportunities to consolidate industries and, and to help independent business owners massively grow scale and create value in their business. The problem I had is I didn't know how to do it wide. I didn't know how to go wide. And, you know, I think I had 208 Instagram followers. And so uh, specifically when- Probably we, just friends and family, right? Friends, yeah, yeah. I was like, I didn't even know how to use my phone, to be honest. My teenage daughters used to make fun of me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we went to, we, we were trying to figure out how to go wide. And my wife, who's half my age, is like, you should look at some of these social media guys. And I'm like, nah, they're all full of shit. Mm -hmm. And so after researching a whole bunch of them, we landed on uh, Grant Cardone because he has a sales training and an investment vehicle. And I hired my- research company. And I said, of all these industries we've looked at, how many of them does Grant Cardone do sales training in? And they came back and said 65%. And I was like, we're going out to GrowthCon. Mm. And that was 2019. And you know, I didn't know anything about promoting or social media or doing any of that stuff. I've learned it all from Grant. And it takes a while to figure it out. But once it does start building on each other, like you said, it starts to work. And when you're committed to it, it creates a big impact. What were you doing in 2019 specifically? Like before meeting Grant and, and doing all the yeah, I was just wondering, like, yeah. so you're obviously a very successful man, even before the social media, that when you tapped into the social media, obviously you were successful before that, with that the social media. Yeah, well, well in my industry. Yeah. You know, um, so my journey goes back to uh, when I was a kid, but, but the thing I did before in 2019, I was just coming off the sale of, the business I built before. I what was that great. specifically? It was a company by the name of Otterji. Um, and, and I wanted to innovate in the hearing. It was in the hearing care space, hearing aids, mm -hmm. audiology. We built an allergy ENT otology management company. So it was helping independent doctors uh, grow their businesses. Oh. And, and uh, I started that business in 2004. That was my second iteration. Mm -hmm. um, I took my first one public when I was 29. And then my private equity group sold it out from underneath me in 2002. So I had to spend oh, a couple of years geez. reinventing how I wanted to go about it. And was it the same industry? or same, same industry, just with an entirely different nuance. Um, and so I sold that business in 2016 for $151 million and, and built it organically without any outside capital, without taking on any debt, uh, generating $50 million of profits over 14 impressive. years, and then sold it for $151 million. That was impressive. To Thank a public God. company, and that was in 16. And then what I did between 16 and 19, I had a contract with them to, to take what we owned mm -hmm. and integrate it to the, for them worldwide. And mm -hmm. we took them from $1 billion in value to $4.5 billion in value. And so it was supposed to be a 60-month deal. And they, that's in three years? Yeah, they cashed me out in 36 months because they, I overachieved significantly from what they thought we'd do. Yeah. Mm. 
So let me let me ask you this, by the way, because we're going to get into a lot of different subjects and um, lessons being learned along the way, and you know, victories and failures. Now, when you saw that the company you sold went from one billion to a four billion dollar valuation, you said, yeah. Um, did you have any like second thoughts or regrets at that point? No, it was the company that bought me went from one to four. We Got it. we okay. took what we did, and and really that was my I had engineered. I'm a scaling expert, right? So I built technology and principles and everything over the last 15 years to grow and scale businesses without needing capital. That's really my expertise. Sounds familiar, Sal. And so so, uh, when the billion-dollar company acquired us, it was to launch them on a global basis. And so uh, that was my experiment to go take all the concepts I had built in in the U.S. or North America and move them to 10 other countries to see if I could do it. So, because because I have big aspirations, mm-hmm. but I figured they're paying me, and I can practice working with them mm-hmm. and gain a lot of contacts on on the global front. So mm-hmm. so we did that, and were unbelievably successful. You know, people used to say to me, "Oh, people in Italy and people in Germany and people in China they they don't want what Americans have, and they won't re- they won't receive what you do in the U.S." And mm-hmm. but I just found it all to be bullshit. Like. People are people, and if they know that they're in, that they can do things morally, ethically, and legally, and they can, uh, you can tap into any community anywhere in the globe where there are inspired people. They just don't know how to do it, and if you're willing to show them how to do it, they're willing to learn how to do it. Wow! And they're grateful for it. And they're grateful for it. They're more grateful for it, to be honest with you, in, in these countries than you'll find people in the U.S. Sometimes. Yeah, I think that they see it as a, this one golden opportunity in life in a lifetime. I mean, you present it to them, and then boom, they just run with it. Yeah, we just most people don't know how good they have it here in oh. in North America. Man. You know, b- before we talk about some of your goals for this year and next year, and you know, three year plan, five year plan, which you probably you know, they say uh, they say billionaires stink in decades. You know, yeah. and then I feel like that's where that's where you're headed, and it's uh, it's inevitable, and you know, time just hasn't caught up yet, right? You're mm-hmm. doing the work, you're you're doing everything right. It just takes some time sometimes to, to get there, right? Um, let me ask you this, you know, your your background, where, where were you born? What kind of family, you know, what, what was your upbringing like? You know, was there any struggles? Did your, you know, was your father already uh, significantly successful in any way that he, you know, set a good example? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so, so you know, it's, it's truly a story of rich dad, poor dad. So my parents divorced when I was eight. We lived in a little tiny town. My dad was a preacher. My mom was a nurse. What was the the town? Uh, was uh, it? it was it was it was called uh, Albany, Oregon. It was just a little tiny. It's outside of Corvallis, Oregon, where the Beavers are, which Got is it. just north of Oregon State or yeah. University of Oregon, where yeah. the the ducks the ducks are, yep, and everybody ducks, knows yeah. the ducks. Yeah. So so nobody would know where I'm from because it's not really relative. Um, but uh, it's a little town, and my dad was a pastor, and my mom was a nurse. And when I was eight, they divorced. And so my mother uh, married a gentleman and moved to Minnesota. And so I lived going between Corvallis with my dad and eventually my stepmom uh, and living in Minnesota off and on. Back and forth. Back and forth. And and my mom married a guy who uh, had invented in the late 70s um, an in-the-ear hearing aid. So hearing aids used to hang over the ear. And so he had this idea to innovate the hearing care space. How old were you when you... I was eight. Have you seen the, the, the programming, the conditioning already yeah, happening so, at that so, age, right? So the thing is, though, even when I was living in, in... Actually, the little town I lived in was called Talbot, Oregon. It was in the middle of freaking nowhere. Um, we used to stand on the side of the, the highway 
because uh, it was out in the middle of nowhere, we used to stand there with pumpkin stands and squash stands. And because my family, you know, always, always since I was a kid, if we wanted money, you we used to walk them. up and down the railroad tracks pulling steel, finding steel and hauling it over and then hauling it to the- In Oregon. In Oregon, yeah. yeah. I mean, anything that you, to make money. Uh, yeah. We learned very early on that we needed to do our part. So you have to earn your money if you need. Yeah, it. and I and and I think that's the most important thing that was ingrained in me because when I was going back and forth. So when I moved to Minnesota the first time, when my mom and my stepdad got together, I moved there when I was nine, and I lived there for a couple of years, and it was pure startup, sleeping on the floors. Um, oh. You know, there was never any time for me. I was in the fifth grade and then sixth grade. Um, I and because there was no time for me because both my stepdad and my mom were all in. Um, no pun intended, but all in on, on the business. They didn't have time to raise a kid. So I moved back and lived with my dad and my stepmom. And so that, that dichotomy growing up was interesting because my dad and my stepmom, we lived on a walnut orchard. Mm -hmm. And uh, they didn't have any money. I mean, my dad worked, had a part, had a, his own little business, and he worked full-time as a programmer. And my stepmom worked full-time as an insurance adjuster. And so uh, she- As a programmer, like in- Computers. Computer. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I had the first Apples uh, in, in six, or 78, 79, and 80. The company my dad was one of two guys that started it. Uh, they, they built and tested all the Apple motherboards until Apple became a real company. And then they took that in-house. And then, and then they pivoted to building barcode readers. You know what's crazy? I, I like you're telling the story. I mean, I'm like already connecting the dots. Like you have on this side entrepreneurship, the other side is, is programming, and then you're like the hybrid of you. you take that's, that's 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 what's interesting is is it, it wasn't that way early on. Neither families had money, and everyone had to work. No, no, he's yeah. not talking about the he's not talking about the money part. No, he, like the skill set that the yeah. skill set, yeah, the the, the yeah. and the work ethic. There, yeah, it was like a, a nucleus, like uh, from both sides. I think I, I say to people in uh, in life, you need two things to make good decisions. You need context, and you need contrast. Mm -hmm. And and I think that growing up, you get programmed with context and contrast without even knowing it. Mm -hmm. So um, so you you know like oh I want to go do this oh don't you're gonna get hurt don't do that don't so you create this context mm -hmm. that if I take risk I'm gonna get hurt. Mm -hmm. um, contrast that to somebody who did. Mm -hmm. And so I got to watch this yin and yang with my family because um, now me, no matter where I went, if I was in Minnesota or if I was back in Washington or Oregon, I always had to work. Like there was no gas money. If I wanted to do football, I was a three sports. Mm -hmm. So I'd do my sports and then I'd work in the restaurant doing dish, washing dishes and I'd buck hay in the summer. And I'd, we had a walnut orchard and that walnut orchard had to yield $5,500 a year in order to send me and my little brothers to a little Christian school we went to. Wow. And so... My, my true foray into entrepreneurialism. And you know, the thing about uh, moments that, that are catalysts in time, you don't really know they were catalysts until you look back and, and then you recognize, wow, that was the thing, mm -hmm. you know. And for me, it was my junior year. I had this, I was, I was playing sports, doing football, and then I had this girlfriend and, uh, uh, that I had met that was in college at, at Oregon State. And I would do dishwashes. Well, I'd wash, and then I'd have to go home, and I had a 12.30 curfew. And I was coming home at like 1.30 because I would sneak from the restaurant after dishwashing over to the girlfriend's, and then I'd get home. <laughs> and my dad busted me. And so he grounded me. And they were going out of town to Bend, Oregon for, for a week for, on vacation with all the family. And I had my cars, and I had to work and do football practice. And so my dad told me, you have to pick the walnut orchard up. And I hated those walnuts because they stained your hands for like a month. 
And he says, do you have to pick them up? I want the walnut orchard clean because he knew that would I fill read, my time. I read your recent post about it was the like walnuts, a, it yeah. was like a carousel yeah. about the walnuts. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's, you should you want to tell them the story? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so, 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 so we needed that money. And so my parents are like to ground me and know that they absorbed all my time. So I couldn't see the girlfriend. My dad's like, when you're not at practice, uh, when you're not working, you need to be home. Picking we're going to keep you busy doing yeah, stuff. Right. And we're, and, and the whole family's going out of town. And so I'm like, oh man. So, uh, that they left Friday morning and I went to school and, uh, and there was a note on the locker uh, that the senior class was doing a senior class fund drive for their senior trip. Mm. So I found the president of the senior class and I'm like, hey, what are you guys trying to raise? He said, well, we want to raise a thousand bucks to go on our senior trip. And I said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you guys come over and help me pick up walnuts at my house and whatever we make, you know, I'll, I'll pay you some amount thinking a few people would show up. That next Saturday and Sunday, uh, there was like, all the kids and they brought their family and I mean every we we, we literally picked that thing clean and through. It was like a fundraiser. It's a fundraiser. It became a fundraiser. And 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 so I didn't touch anything. I drove around the tractor and had them throw the shit in the back and then yeah. and and I pulled the gunny sacks out and I made them load it and bind them all at fifty pounds and and dry them and I, I was just instructing everybody and I, I was like. You're the CEO now. You, this is cool. Like, <laughs> you put you know, a whole system and process. Exactly. And, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and so looking back, that taught me a few things. It taught me the power of leverage through other people. Mm. It also taught me that, that the very thing you might hate um, can be the thing that creates life. Like, I hated those walnuts. I, 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 it's hard to understate how much I hated doing that every year. But all of a sudden, this was a different experience because I had teams of people doing things and they were excited about it. And, and it taught me some big life lessons. Like the very thing you hate could be a vehicle for other people to experience their life. Yeah. And, and, then, and then those parents came not because they loved walnuts, but not only did they pick the walnuts and clean the orchard for me, but they ended up buying all those walnuts. And, and, and I realized they didn't buy them because they wanted walnuts. They bought them to show the kids that they loved them. Mm -hmm. Their kids wow. were leaving, right? Wow. So, so the parents were involved and the family members were involved. You created a community within the walnuts. Uh. The walnuts were just a vehicle. Yeah. And so it makes me remind business owners that sometimes your business is just a vehicle for everyone else to experience their goals. Wow. So stop, stop thinking of yourself and start thinking about the bigger impact. Mm. Then there's some real big lessons. Like I was a 2.4 GPA. I barely got out of school. I failed all my math classes. And so all of a sudden I had to give these guys a thousand bucks. And I didn't know how to calculate I knew my parents needed 5,500. So I just made up a price. And, and, and that price yielded me like $8,800. Mm. And so I paid the kids 1,000 and I made more money than my parents ever made. And I thought they were gonna be really proud of me. When they got home from the trip and found out what happened, my dad actually grounded me again. Because he's like, that wasn't the point of the mm -hmm. lesson. Mm -hmm. And that taught me something about smaller thinking sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. like, like, like we just made more money. I just demonstrated there's a different way to do it. I sold them all. I picked them. I sold them before anybody got home. Cleaned the orchard clean, and I thought it'd be like, man, this is like. Can I ask you something yeah. about that specific situation? Because I didn't. I didn't grow up with the father. You know, I didn't grow up with the father. Um, it's it's crazy. My my father. Are, do you, you do you still have your father? Yeah, he's he's actually moved here to Arizona to be with us. Yeah, beautiful, nice. beautiful. Um, my, my father was missing from the age of you know four or five to twenty twelve when my first daughter was born, who's nine years old, right? And um, I couldn't really reconnect with my father. Um, and he, you know, unfortunately, he, he just passed about two weeks ago. You know what I mean? And God, God bless him. Um, but do you think that what happened with you and your father, was that like a pride thing on his behalf? Like when he said, hey, that wasn't the point of the lesson? 
No, I think he was trying to. I think he was trying to ground me from seeing the girl, and he realized yeah. that I figured a way he around. He enabled it. something else, but, but he didn't look at the positive he didn't, side. Yeah, he, 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 but he eventually did. Like, like in the uh, moment, uh, that he was, was my next yeah. question. Yeah. No, was, my dad is a remarkable. I was gonna ask you the yeah. next. Was the next question was like, Jesus, son, like you are, you are something else. He said, "I knew that week that you were gonna be forget your schooling." I was a good athlete, but he was like, "Forget the fact that you struggled in school. I knew you're gonna you be a businessman. You're gonna do something." Yeah, yeah. And so that's the thing for him in the moment, you know, and my stepmom and 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 my dad, so. So that dichotomy of learning these things and having to work. Now, every holiday, summers and Christmases, I'd go back to Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And that business, uh, in 1983, my mother and my stepdad fit Ronald Reagan with his invented hearing aid. And the mm -hmm. world found out about it. And that business went from a startup to... So when I moved there, graduated high school, and well, going back and forth, by the time they divorced in 93, 94, it was a $400 million company. Wow. So uh, that was your your mom, and your mom and stepdad. Yeah, okay. in Minnesota. Got and it. so I'd go back and forth, and I would see the dichotomy between what middle class mm -hmm. and and entrepreneurial grinding upper mm -hmm, class mm -hmm, look like. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. but the interesting thing, and people say to me now, they're like, "Oh, so you you know you 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 had that example where people gave you money? I didn't get shit for, from any of that. They divorced. Mm -hmm. Their divorce lasted seven years. Went to the U.S. Supreme Court." Jeez. It was nasty. It was one of the nastiest divorces that's oh, ever happened. You're, you're, yeah. Mom and stepdad, yeah. and so so there was nothing given to me. I I, I worked after high school. I worked. I uh, moved to Atlanta and I sold hearing aids. Anything you got it rougher than the normal joke. Well, there's were... always this idea that because you're this is a, like I specialize in family businesses, and, and as a side note, you know when you're a kid in a family business. Everyone in the business thinks you got it easy because because you're the kid. You're part of the family. And then every and then most family members want to be harder on you because they assume you're going to get it one day. So mm -hmm. you're just you're just screwed basically in a yeah. family business. Yeah. I, I, and I specialize in family businesses that range between one million and two and a half billion, where I guide and advise. These when you're a kid and you're in a family business, it, it's brutal. Yeah. Because you just can never win usually. So so you know it's like it's like. Uh, kind of that situation. It's kind of like, you gotta work twice as hard, mm -hmm. you can't expect anything, and and so that was a grinding environment. But what I what happened is is I got to work on the sales side of the business, and, and I really learned to communicate with people at 18. I moved to Atlanta when I was 18, dropped out of high, uh, college my first year, and, and, and at 19 I was an outside sales rep traveling 11 states, oh. selling, doing open houses, working with old people, working with doctors, and I just learned how to. Was it in the real estate? No, it was oh. working for the hearing aid. Oh, for the hearing. Okay, and so that's really where I started learning about business. But but um, so so you were working for your stepdad. I, well, when I graduated high school, yeah. I was supposed to be going to college. It's Did, kind of a funny story. I was supposed to be going to college, and I dropped out and moved to Atlanta from Portland, Oregon. Uh -huh. And my mother didn't know about it for nine months until she was at a customer <laughs> event. And they're like, "We sure like your son, Brandon." And my mom's like, "He's in Oregon." Going to college, yeah. And they're like, no, he's my outside sales rep in North Carolina, and She's my like, mom's like, what? Oh yeah, yeah. she. I, I heard this story. It went down. They were in a food line, a buffet line on a cruise ship with a customer, a bunch of customers. Yeah. She literally took her plate and threw it at my stepdad and started screaming and yelling at him because <laughs> he and I knew that I was in Atlanta and she thought I was still. You guys college. were hiding it from. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Man. So, did you develop a good relationship with him, your stepdad? Yeah, I just called him. Uh, Four days ago is his 80th birthday. Wow. It, it went bad. I, my mom signed power of attorney over to me. So I was working in the company running. By the time I left in 1995, for three years, I was director of North American sales with 30 inside sales guys and, and four managing facilities around. The, I created a program that did $25 million in its first year, and he's mm -hmm. like, take sales. 
Mm-hmm. So I was running a team of people by 23, 24, 25. Um, but then their divorce got nasty, and I felt no other choice but to leave. Mm. And his new family was coming in. And so I left, and that's when I started my first company. I'm like, I'm going to go do something on my own because I, I left with nothing. I had a brand-new newborn. I had a two-and-a-half-year-old. I was making about 150 grand a year. I'd saved a year's worth of mm. salary, and I walked in December 15, 1995, and told him, hey, I, I'm going to quit. i got to go do my own thing. Sold everything. And How did that go, by the way? Uh, he spent about eight hours trying to convince me to stay, and yeah. and I mean I was very close to him. He was he was he, he he's a hugely impactful. Mentor you learned a me. lot, yeah. and my mother was too. I mean she was a grinder. So so you know I I just you know you here here's what I learned now in the last probably ten years through my own failures because I haven't gotten into mine yet. But um, you can choose to be mad at people your whole life and be victimized by conditions mm-hmm. and circumstances. But if you just naturally accept that you as an individual have to choose to grow every single day, and then you say, okay, then I have to accept if that's true for me, it's true for everybody. So everyone's going to make mistakes. Everyone's going to do things wrong because we're all practicing mm-hmm. through life. And some people do things more aggressively than others. Some people make bigger mistakes than others, whatever. But if you if you convert your energy from being angry or disappointed or jealous to just appreciating the contribution somebody has given to you and you Mm -hmm. choose not to look at the bad side. So I started doing that. Um, and, and I just basically forgave everyone and loved them all. Yeah. And, and that improved my life. Love prevails. It it didn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily improve my, my mom and my stepdad's relationship, but, but but it did improve mine with everybody. And, um, so consequently in, in 96, I started my business in, in, my mom was in perpetual bankruptcy. But by the way, where did you start it? Was it Georgia? Yeah. Or? So, so I was in Minnesota and I quit. I packed everything up. My brand new newborn, she was a week old. My two and a half year old, my wife agreed. She was from Minnesota. We sold everything. We moved to a little tiny house in Oregon. And I told her I was going to go find a business. I didn't have any money. And basically in the car ride from Minnesota to Oregon, I put my plan together. But I just knew I needed to leave where I was at. It was, it was one of those situations where I woke up one day and said, I'm trapped between my mom, my stepdad. Um, that's not going well. His new family's moving in, which I actually like them. Mm-hmm. Um, her and, and her son and I have been very good friends. Um, and 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 I was like, I just got to remove myself from the equation. Mm-hmm. But I had the confidence to do it because I had moved to Atlanta, and I traveled to, and and kind of took care of myself. I made more money hustling pool um, on the evenings when I was traveling around, and I got fired in Atlanta my second year there. And for six months, I didn't ha- I didn't know what to do. Well, I started selling um, ad space on the back of credit cards and hustle and pool, and I was making more money than I was working. Hustle and pool, pool, nine ball, yeah, ball, okay, six yeah, ball, pool. Yeah. yeah. And I was having fun. No. And 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 that moment in time, I didn't realize that that's that catalytic. You know, you just that catalyst. You don't know, but but that moment in time gave me the confidence that no matter whatever happens to me, I can take care of myself. Mm-hmm. So when I was in '95, quitting my job, my wife's like, "Oh my gosh, what are we going to do?" I'm like. Whatever we're gonna do, I'm gonna take care of us. It's like that wasn't. Well, you even, hustled pool. You made money. I forgot. That to say wasn't it. even a question, though. But the thing is, I think a lot of people don't get tested enough to have the confidence in themselves. So they always get dependent on somebody, and that's the. Or one they don't want to make that leap to where they're where they're their back is against. They don't want to give something up. Yeah. And for me, I learned that shit. If I give something up, I'm gonna find something on the other side. That's mm-hmm. one quality that I think I've carried with me. That's been a huge, huge, huge benefit for me. That mm. quality that if I give something up, I will go find something on the other side. I have I have a question because honestly, you're you're like a 
you're an interesting human being because there's a uh, you're talking about sales but before we even start talking and you're 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 an integrator and you're a process individual well i am now okay i, see. I haven't okay. gotten into my mistakes no, you see why i wanted you on this podcast I, oh I, I, what i'm saying is that i, I just want to give you your flowers because you've like you're a salesperson and you're an integrator, which is usually it's those are two different yeah, entities, I am two now. different people. I want to continue to qualify this. I am now. <laughs> okay. So so I had phenomenal sales skills, uh, sales skills, and 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 what I did when I moved to Oregon is I started calling business owners, that asking them, hey, are you thinking of retiring or selling in the next three to five years? And and if so, I don't have any money, but I'll come in and learn your business and I'll grow it, but I want half of the increased value that I help create. Mm. And I was told no probably 50 times until I found a guy in, in Western Vancouver, BC that said yes. What so kind of business did he have? It was a hearing aid. So I was calling the hearing aid dealers I knew that I used yeah. to sell over the phone. Well, that was your specialty, right? I knew, yeah, I knew yeah. him because they were my clients too. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I found this guy, Doug, in Vancouver, BC, and he's like, yeah, I got a $3 million business. I want to go down to Palm Desert if you come in and do this. Well, I didn't know. Doug had backed that company into a public company in, on the Alberta Stock Exchange in Canada. I didn't know. I didn't even know what, any of that meant. I just knew I had a deal. So I went and cut my deal with Doug to where he gave me, I said, I don't have any money. So he gave me a note for $600,000 that I had to pay off in three years and and for the value of his company. And he said, whatever you build it to and whatever we sell it for, anything over 600 for half, you get to keep it. Love it. I parlayed that into a $70 million business in 36 months. Where was he at when you started? Three. Oh. And I took it. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so what happened is is he started teaching me. He was my first like mentor, life mentor, other mm -hmm. than observing with my stepdad and my parents and all that. He was like, let me teach you how the public markets work. And and so he because that's what he loved doing. Mm -hmm. So it was perfect. I'd go out and grind, and then he'd teach me what to do. And mm -hmm. so we did this. And he's like, first you got to go get some deals under letter of intent. Then we got to go raise a million bucks. Then we got to you know. And he's just started teaching me the whole idea of using public money through a public vehicle versus private money through a private vehicle. And, and once I sunk my teeth into that, I'm like, this is the greatest gig in the world. So, so I went and raised my, and first you're good at it. I was good at it, but you know, it took me, it took me like a hundred presentations to get my first million and it was touch and go a few times. I thought I was going to have to lose I, cause I was burning through what little bit of money I had. And it took me like nine months to raise my first million. And mm -hmm. there was like, there was times I'd pull over and just totally doubt myself and I'd be laughed out of rooms like, oh, you're a kid. What do you know? And, and How old were you when you were doing this? It was uh, t it was uh, 96. So so I would have been 68, 78, 88, 98. So was that 28? Okay. No. So I finally got one guy to give me the first million. And then I parlayed that into a $6 million round uh, raising money in New York. And then I took, I went to the most, I, I made like, 70 presentations to investment bankers and got in it. New York. Yeah. I mean, look, that was my dream sitting on this stupid tractor. I used to dream about going, I'd never even knew what New York looked like, but I'd watch it on TV and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I read barbarians at the gate and I always had this dream of going in a tall building and doing something where I was important. That was kind of the thing I'd think about on the tractor, listening to so Casey, case Casey and top. Totally opposite of where you were. Yeah, totally. And when no. I tell my friends about it, they'd laugh at me. They, yeah. they'd be like, you're an idiot. You're going to, you're going to get a job at Les Schwab changing tires. And, and, um, uh, and so I just had this dream, and then it's funny. All of a sudden, ten years later, uh, I'm 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 raising 18 million um, with Warburg Pincus in New York City, standing on the 80th floor of the World Trade Center. What did that feel like? It was so. It was like it was. I I just when that process was happening, it felt like I was on a TV show, and it wasn't real. 
Like yeah, I was watching me. Yeah, I was like watching me on a TV show, and it wasn't real because I was dis. I I, I was grinding so hard, and yeah. I was pushing so hard um, to have actually arrived and done that. And then shortly thereafter, ringing the opening bell of the American Stock Exchange at 29 is one of the youngest people to ever do it. I mean, wow. I, I just that that gap between leaving my job in 96 mm -hmm. and, re and ringing the opening bell in 99, that three years compressed probably 30 years of my That's life. That's crazy. Well, pr but probably it was so condensed because you, you were just grinding. Like you, you didn't even worry about any, any noise. No, I was in survival mode every single day because I also got power of attorney for my mom's estate and I sued my stepdad on behalf oh, of my mother. Man. So I was going head to head with him. Wow. And it was, it was, Jeez. it was, uh, it was unbelievable. That's and that's a tough situation. It was. It went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and then I won. So then I had to sit and negotiate a deal with him. So he was pretty bitter with me. The great thing about that story is is fast forward. About eight years later, I went to him and said, because now I had started my business, mm -hmm. and I became one of the largest consolidators on the retail side, and he was on the wholesale side. Mm -hmm. So I went to him and said, hey, if we work together, all that money you paid, we'd probably make it back. And we did. And so so we became close again. That's ruthless. What does that tell you about no, this, ruthless, this man. man right here? Yeah, you find opportunity in in every. No, no, no. But but uh, you know what he did. You you made it like even though you did what you had to do, right? You made it. Up. You made it right. Yeah. You made it right, and and that saved the relationship. Yeah. And, and it's been a it's been a, a, a great relationship. Yeah. But I'm close to my dad. My stepmom died a few years ago. But yeah. Sorry. You did. Sorry for your loss. You can have some water. You know, money. talking about some of these things yeah, well, brings that's... up because we still haven't got to my pain. See, I raised that money. I went public. I had all, I was like on fire, guys. I won the case for my mom. Yeah. I was like, you couldn't, at 30, when I clicked over to 30, at a $12 million, $15 million net worth, I was getting ready to take over the world. I was wheeling and dealing and being creative and, and, and putting deals together. Even my private equity guys are like, dude, we've never seen this kind of It's crushing. Just crushing it. Mm -hmm. And uh and 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 I made some technical mistakes in the business. And and the biggest one I made is in ninety nine, you know, there was no internet that was just moving that direction and, and and then we were running mainframe and I was buying all these businesses, a hundred and something locations and they didn't have systems. So this is where, like, I wasn't a systems guy. So I thought, well, the board helped me hire a CTO, a CFO, and I thought those guys all in the CMO, that they all knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. The hardest lesson I learned about leadership is when you abdicate to other people, assuming they're going to do their job, you're going to get burnt. Mm. And so so I had all these so-called professionals that were all commanding a high, a high ticket for salaries and stuff. And the opportunity was unbelievable. We were the first in. I had a half a billion of deal flow. Um, I had identified where, where, where it was hard to buy businesses. This is where I became an operator. It was like, these five things are causing us to lose money every year. So then I created a franchise and said, if you want me to buy you, you have to do these five things. And that became like a million and a half dollars a month of pure profit every single month. Because they work based on your system. Unbelievable. And I just going to own the world. The suppliers globally were coming to me and saying, we'll give you money to buy our customers that are retiring so we don't lose the business. I mean, I just like a magnet. And... Uh, and, and I bought this receivables company because all our cl clinics would have to enter their receivables and collect the money at the clinic level. It was so inefficient. So I bought this expert company in New Mexico to do this. 
And I told my team, put a plan together and, and, and every night created a national account with Airborne. So all the super bills would get packaged up from every location and sent to this place every single day. And then they would be experts at collecting. And all of a sudden, our revenues are going like this. And, and my CFO comes to me like 90 days later and he's like, we have a cash problem. And I go, how can we have a cash problem? Like we're blowing it out through the roof. And, he, and he's, like, he's like, well, none of the receivables are being collected. And I go, well, you're the CFO. Why aren't they being collected? And he goes, I don't know. The people in New Mexico, I don't know what's happening. So I said, fly down to New Mexico and find out. Well, he flew down there and all the, all the airborns were stacked in the garages. And they were sitting up at the house sunbathing because they had got their money. Uh, and 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 in the healthcare space, if you don't bill within ninety days, they can yep. say they don't have to pay you. Wow! So I did an emergency round of financing with my financial institution, Warburg, and that moved them from thirty-two percent of the company to control of the company. And the reason that was relevant is two years later, when they decided to sell, even though we were on top, getting ready to blow it out, mm-hmm. I couldn't stop them. They had control of the company, so they sold it out from underneath me. Wow. And and that was the, just when I was getting ready to take. There was a business I was closing on in two months, cash or stock for stock. It was in Australia New, and New Zealand, and I was buying it for five point five million, stock mm. for stock. And and I called them and said, these guys are selling out from underneath me. You probably disengaged. They did, but they sold that business six years later for four hundred eighty million. <laughs> I, I would have had a multi billion dollar company. That is for crazy. Sure. And it went and 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 the guys that bought me ended up doing it. Yeah. Without changing what I was doing. What so. do you think the mistake was? Was this a technical or sight unseen? Uh, like so the mistake on my side was I didn't I didn't have operational effectiveness. Like as a leader, leadership. you didn't have operation or like yeah, your I, whole I wasn't operation a leader. itself. I wasn't a leader. I was just throwing so much shit against the wall. You were just wall. a doer. I was a doer. Yeah. I was a reckless doer. But you expected everybody to do the same that, way that yeah, you Yeah, and did. I made the assumption that that if you surround yourself by competent people that are supposed to be experienced, they're all going to work as a team to 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 handle the the big business, picture. The big picture. And, yeah. and I learned the hard way that no one is going to be as attentive to things as you are. And and intellectual ignorance or arrogance is not a positive way to operate. Yeah. And I had both because I had so much success so fast. And and then I had ignorance in the other aspects of the business. And so, so it wasn't until they sold out from underneath me. I was so pissed. One of my mentors said, uh, Hector Lamarck, we were playing golf and he was a best friend. And he says, dude, I can't play golf with you anymore. You know, you, you were one of the brightest up and coming. Everything you touched turned to gold. You were unbelievable, but you just refused to accept the fact that you screwed it up. And there was a reason they sold it and you made mistakes and you won't acknowledge those. And if you don't acknowledge those and you keep talking about all the broken things in the past, you're just going to find more of what you talk about. Wow. So if your broken thinking is going to, is what you're talking about, you're going to find broken doing and you're never going to, you're never going to do the things that you're capable of doing. So if you don't choose to change that, I'm not, I'm just refusing to spend time with you. And he said, write this down. What you think is what you say. What you say is what you do. What you do becomes your legacy. So whatever your present moment thought is, will be your future result. So go home and reprogram. Find out the areas you screwed up, that you were weak, that you had blind spots. Fix those and take all the assets you had, and you'll, you're going to do something remarkable in your life. And, and so I did, and that's where I went back to him. I said, I'm a shitty leader. I didn't take any leadership responsibility. Um, I'm a shitty operator. I don't understand finances and how numbers work and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, I, I, I didn't orchestrate the team to work well together. And I, I, I listed these things out. I said I would do things that ultimately, if I was the investor, I'd say, 
even though it's gotten better or you changed it, you still didn't do what you said you were going to do. So I take responsibility for losing some of their confidence. And so I listed it all out and I said, now what do I do to fix it? And he said, here's a book. Here's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell. Work on this for your leadership. Here's Beyond Positive Thinking, Robert Anthony. This is going to get your mind right so you can start thinking right, reprogramming and rewiring your brain. Mm. And he just gave me a bunch of books and said, now go read these and then formulate what you're learning into the things that you did, didn't do well and create a life plan. Mm-hmm. So between 2002, and he said, come work with me and I'll show you. Have a little humility. So I joined Primerica and was doing kitchen table presentations for life insurance at 50 bucks, 35 bucks a pop for two years, just so I could get back in the rhythm of success and, and drown out the being a victim. And I could learn from him on the power of duplicating through other people. That's what he taught the me. The that's the That's the rich dad, poor dad, you just said. A hundred percent. All the way up, yeah. all the way down. That's right. right. That's why the dichotomy is actually what I experienced growing up. Yeah, rich, rich, rich ended dad, up being yeah. a rich stepdad and rich mm-hmm. and yeah. poor, not poor. He was middle class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Middle class, but yeah. but but the, the, middle but class the mentality, the mentality of doing something so radical and huge versus being just normal and surviving. Mm. And so I rewired and created all these little concepts through my failures because it was really grounding, and I became a different human being. Um, and and I launched and I and I wanted to solve a new problem. Because when Warburg was taking me around in the late 90s, early 2000s of what I could become as a great company, those companies had all gone out of business. Mm. And they were consolidators. So I'm like, what's wrong with the consolidation theory? Well, I had a consolidation company, I could not get my employees to do anything I wanted them to do. But when I rolled out that franchise business and said, if you do this, I'll buy you. A lot of people said, we don't want to sell. We're making more money than we've ever made. So the same things I couldn't get my employees to do, I'd give to the franchisees. They'd make more money and they wouldn't want to sell. Because they believed in it. Because they benefited from it. Yeah. So I realized the whole issue with with, with consolidation and roll-ups and those strategies is the psychology of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's people feel oppressed and crammed down on and lack of appreciation. Well, I wanted to solve that problem. And working with Hector, I learned how to do it through personal, professional, financial goal planning. And that's how he would recruit people into this voluntary army mm-hmm. to go out and test themselves in the marketplace. And I thought, what if you could take that approach and put it into traditional business? That was my thesis. And then what if you reverse consolidation? So instead of me buying you and cramming down on you where I needed to get money and try to organize it, what if I gave you a piece of my business and I work for you? And I got a piece of your upside. So I took me eight times from the SEC. I really got honed in on my operational skill set. That's where I got honed in, created this strategy. Took me eight eight times to get my exemption from the SEC. I fought with them. And, and you talking about the MEMM model? The Yeah, the the, the, you know, the three, I call it MEM or M, 3M. M-M-E. The, the money multiplier model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the multi-economic model mm-hmm. for, for those Harvard people out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, Isn't EXP doing it? Well, that was, that's my... That's my talk describing EXP because you know what EXP has the same structure that Primerica had with Hector. Mm. So so you've got you've got a traditional business in Hector's case at Primerica it's financial services. So mm-hmm. what is Hector does he own Primerica or something? No, he's just one of the top okay, people he, inside okay. of Primerica but 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 I studied their model and found it fascinating because here you have a public company where people can perform and get access to public mm-hmm. equity. Mm-hmm. 
they have an office, a traditional business, where they have a bunch of people that work with them in the local markets generating income. And then they get overrides off of everybody that recruits people. So was, so that's the multi-economic. So instead of me going and get my license and working by myself trying to do transactions, I get paid for recruiting people and getting them to work. You plug into their organization. I, I, get, trained, I get paid for doing my own work and I can build a, a business that has access to public vehicles. Well, I hadn't seen another one of those models till EXP came along. Wow. And that's what I've been building. I've been looking. So I started doing research in all these industries. So my big thing was as the programs I was building were taking off, like everyone said, it'll never happen. You can't do it. My little market I was in, people were like, yes, 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 yes. And I started operationalizing, building technology, really getting systematized. In 2009, I hired a billion dollar consulting firm and said, of all these acquisition strategies and all these converging marketplaces and all these disrupted marketplaces, how many of them would fit this multi-economic model structure I'm building that mm -hmm. was modeled off of how Primerica functioned, mm -hmm. but now the new model is eXp. Mm -hmm. That's why I was so quickly to talk about it because it's mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, here's another one. This is what I'm building. Yeah. And, and so we did research from 2009 to 2013, hired a bunch of kids out of Wharton. We looked at hundreds and hundreds of industries. We, sh we reformulated uh, almost 3,900 industries. We put a, a weighted scale into which ones would converge in the future based on de technology disruption. We researched things like the blockbuster Hollywood phenomenon that then became uh, Redbox, mm -hmm. yep. uh, uh, Netflix, uh, Netflix phenomenon yep, yep, that yep. that you know, and and the decision making, and that's where I started working with Jim Collins on his work, and John Maxwell on leadership, and then all those mentors. I read all those books. They're all now people that I'm dear, dear close they, relationship, yeah, where I've actually worked in their businesses with yep. them. So so the, the everything's come full circle. Uh, the only uh, non repaired relationship was my ex stepdad. That's repaired. Um, and, and I don't live a day where I feel like I have any out of alignment with any human on this earth, which has been important to me. That was something that I you had. You live in to, balance with others. That's right. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and you appreciate people for where they did contribute to your life. And then you try to be that to other people, right, without the negative aspect. Let, let me ask you this, because you are, uh, you are a phenomenal entrepreneur, right? I mean, he is where, God willing, we want to be at some point. Absolutely. Right? What do you think? Because let's be honest, you're pretty damn good at business. You're pretty damn good. Like if you were, if you were, if you were to compare yourself to like an athlete, right? In the business sector, right? You would be like a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan. You know, you're 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 pretty well rounded. You know, you're very well rounded. What do you think? And it becomes addicting when you're as good at things as you are, right? It becomes addicting. You know that, right? It becomes addicting because you're winning and you're winning and you're winning. What, in your opinion or your experience, has suffered? Because these are the lessons. Like, you're a phenomenal, you know, uh, nine-figure, uh, eight-figure, nine-figure guy, nine-figure guy. What has suffered? What are some things, if you could reframe, you could have done better? Yo, I mean, look, every day is an experiment for me mm -hmm. of trying to get better. Um, it, I have two ex-wives. I didn't fight with either of them. You know, um, You were just working. Just working, and 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 um, and I have three amazing kids and three great. What kids. are their ages, by the way? Uh, 29, 26, and sixteen. And you have a pretty good relationship with all of them. Oh yeah, and my grandkids. I mean, uh, look, these are they're my three daughters, right? They're they're mean everything to me. Yeah. Um, I think what's what's suffered is, I you know, to be the best version of myself now, I have to understand what 
I wasn't doing then, right? And and I say this, sometimes you just pick the wrong partners because you're young, you're practicing. Everything's practicing. Like I know people that have been married for 30, 40 years to the same person and they spend 25 years talking about how miserable they are. Like yeah. I also know people that have been married. I have great examples. My dad and my stepmom were married almost, I think, 40 years and they fucking loved each other up to, oops, sorry. No, you can't. No, you, can just, um, yeah. you know, they loved each other up until the day she, she passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and And so probably that. Probably, I don't know how, I didn't know how to be um, like the perfect Like a, a great husband? Yeah, and yeah. I missed a lot of things with my kids because yeah. I was always working. Yeah. Um, now, my kids will tell you today that, that like they're inspired by what I, and I take care of my kids. Like, I, yeah. I you know, and I take care of my ex-wives. Like, like, like I have no... They were they're they they are phenomenal mothers to the, my kids. So you know I have nothing but positive things to say. It's just that we weren't in alignment about where we wanted to go and how we wanted to get there. And and my second wife, you know, when she was like, "I want you to retire. I want you to be done." I felt like I was at the beginning stages of everything I dreamed about. And we just she but was that like, "Doesn't it feel that way again?" Yeah, but now I'm with somebody who is as equally inspired. Like, like the one thing I realized with my first wife is, you know, we just got married really fast. We were kids, 21 years old or whatever, and we were comfortable around each other. Um, and we, we made it 10 years, had two amazing kids. We never fought. Never once did we get yeah. mad. We just one day, we were like, why are we married? There's just like, why did we do this? Like, she wanted a farm. I, I wanted a business. Then my second wife, she, you know, we, we, we had, we were together for 15, 16 years and, and, uh, we had Sierra and, and, and she wanted me to retire and be done. And I didn't want to, I was at the beginning. So she was like, well, I don't want to. So we grew apart and agreed to go different directions. What that did teach me though, this time around is, and I've been with Natalie seven years now, what it did do is it taught me to really be in alignment before I made that next commitment mm. or move. And, and Natalie's the, like single best life partner I could have ever we have an age gap but people ask me like what's that like because she's 29 years old I'm 53 oh, wow. and and they're like what's it like and I said it's like her good for you by the her way. maturity thank you her maturity is like she's like 38 and I'm like 33 so age <laughs> yeah. aside yeah. the maturity is like she's much more balance. mature and sophisticated and her mom's been my best friend for 18 years and my personal doctor so she knows everything about me yeah. Um, and, and her dad and I have been very close. So, so it, it's just a real blessing to, to align with somebody who is so remarkable and is so aligned with where you want to go and what you want to do and how you want to get there. It's very fulfilling. Very fulfilling. So the trade-offs for me, I can tell you right now that looking backwards, the only thing I wish I had done is been a little more present or a lot more present with all three of my daughters Got it. at various stages. Got it. Um, but that life has afforded me the opportunity to take care of them, to be, I can, you know, when, when something's happening, I can jump on my plane yep. and fly to Ben and spend to a leave day with my daughter the world. And, and be there. And, and yep. so, you know, it's like, it's like there's trade-offs. Um, yep. I will sincerely tell you, other than that very specific thing, I could have been more present when I was present instead Got of being it. on the phone or doing yeah. other things. And yeah. I would encourage but you people chose not to, to. I just, I was so busy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was always caught up in, in what I was doing, trying to yeah. get to the next level. If I could take anything back, it would be just when I was there. Be fully and when there. I am there, be yeah. fully there. Yeah. Like just, just shut everything we off talk about and, that all the time, and right? be there. Yeah. You'll appreciate that decision later. Yeah. Um, and, and outside of that, I would not change one single thing about my life's experiences good bad or indifferent because it is it 
like I define true freedom as being where you want, with who you want, doing what you want, however you want, when and you for whatever want. reason you want and when you want. Like mm -hmm. that's not measured by money. That's measured by the people you're spending your time with, the impact you're creating, how much fun you're having. The moments, yeah. And and so for me, I'm so compelled and driven to help other people achieve their personal, professional, and financial life that I'm more of a teacher than I am an operator or a financier. Mm -hmm. um, I like to teach and educate people to bypass those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And 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 you know, um, when when we partnered with Grant Cardone, after seeing that there's a huge compliment, um, I presented what I did and what I do and what I was excited about and how it fit and he looked at it and said i've always wanted to do something like this I, I i don't know how to do that let's go for it and between the two of us in in three years we've created in in our partnership mm -hmm. and in his company combined we've added about uh I'd say an extra billion dollars of value to both wow. like like i i i went from a hundred million dollar net worth in 36 months to about 250 million mm -hmm. he's taught me so much about everything i didn't know about so and vice versa, and and, and I've helped you him. Compliment but, him but in some ways. I compliment him a lot of ways. And yeah. Elena and Natalie and I and Grant really compliment each other I, in so many ways. I can and tell we you look this. up to Grant and Elena with, beyond any other mentors we've ever had. Yeah, and that was important when we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do our next iteration. I had five very specific things. I wanted somebody that had a net worth target. That was my next net worth target. That was important. I wanted somebody, and Natalie wanted somebody who was actively still involved in the business not somebody who's retired because then sure. it's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. We wanted somebody that w was doing something that we could compliment, but could also compliment us. Now we didn't know it was Grant and Elena. These were our priorities. Mm -hmm. We wanted somebody who was working together, husband and wife, mm -hmm. so that, that they understood that that was important to us. Mm -hmm. And we wanted somebody who had such a massive vision that it almost to the outsider seemed like impossible. Unrealistic. They, unrealistic because yeah. that's how we think. Yep. Now, we didn't know who that would be, but we started going through and trying to find you, people. You put the like intention out there. That's right. And then no. when we came, she came across Grant and Elena. At first, I was like, no way, man. She showed me a video. Hey, 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 hey. I was like, this is, this is completely yeah, I don't out of need bounds. That. Yeah. 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 And, and she's like, you're missing the genius in, 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 in what he's doing. Yeah. And by the way, he hits all four other of your categories. And I'm like. Right, let's well, test let that. me take a deeper look. Yeah. So I, right. I started reading Tenex Rule, listening to it all at her request. She pushed me into it. I was resistant at first. Hired the research firm, said, go look at how many businesses they work with that are consistent mm -hmm. with 10 years worth of work I've done. And they came back and said 60 some odd percent. And it just so happens GrowthCon was, this was like in November. And I said, hey, I bought us tickets to GrowthCon. We're going to go check this out, see if this is the real mm -hmm. deal. Mm -hmm. And John Maxwell was speaking. So I called John and said, hey, you're speaking at this thing. Let's go to dinner. The, the night before, so we did with his team, and we talked. He's like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "What are you doing?" Here? Yeah, he goes, well, yeah, I'm speaking. I'm going to see if this guy can really fill thirty five thousand people in here on a Super Bowl weekend. Mm -hmm. I'm like, "That's why I'm here, and to see if it's the real deal." And yeah. so he spoke, and he and I connected the next day, and he's like, "I've never experienced anything like that." I walked in there in the first half of the first day. I started meeting the clients, the people that were there as the 10x community, and all these verticals we had studied and stuff. I'm meeting people that have three million, five million, ten million, twenty million dollar businesses that are all in those verticals, and they're all great people. And and it's like it's like, is this a dream? Yeah. I mean, these people all fit exactly the profile of everything I would want to be exposed to in one place. In one place, all in one place, <laughs> yeah. on a Super Bowl weekend. Yeah. With this founder's crazy idea, right? Yeah. And 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 then I and then Grant came out 
Uh, and I watched him over the three days. I'm like, this is this dude is so real. And what he was giving to people on scale was unbelievable. Mm. Um, and and I was like, this is th- if I can get him to see what I know, this could be like a Crazy. perfect fit. Yeah. So I told Maxwell that at dinner because uh, Maxwell spoke this I think the second day or whatever. So I talked to him the night the night after he spoke. And uh, and while he was there, he grabbed Grant and he said, hey, he brought me up on side stage in, in Natalie and he told Grant, Grant's like, what are you doing? Who are these people? You mm-hmm. know, security's coming over and, mm-hmm. and, and John's pointing at us. And we're, I was like, this kind of uncomfortable. We're going to go sit down. He said he told Grant, those people, you need to meet them. They're, they're part of my family. Like mm. they're, they're the most legit people and stuff. And so, so mm. when I saw Grant the second day, he was like, hey, I wanted to meet you. And I said, I wanted to meet you too. And I was taking a picture with him. And I said, hey, I have something that could add a couple billion to your net worth and mine. That got his faster. attention pretty quick. And he started laughing. He goes, anything with a B, I'm willing to listen to it. There you go. And and then the, the rest is history. We've been partners now. And we've added, you know, Cardone Ventures was launched just under three years ago. Uh, we've we've done almost $100 million of revenue since. That's Beautiful. Um, and, and we've got 100 employees and we're managing over a billion dollars in businesses. Uh, when... I invested the first million dollars with Grant in Cardone Capital. He had nine hundred million under management. We're at four and a half billion right now. We'll be at five and a half billion in another three months. Uh, the training business is three times larger, and 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 we just launched a series of shows we're producing, uh, featuring entrepreneurs, uh, mini moguls, kids that are crushing it in our community. Um, we've got the real estate business. You guys are producing a show for uh, two of my friends, uh, Pace and Jamil. You're doing a, a real estate show where one of the guys goes to a town. We, we've got, yeah. So you got all kinds of stuff going on. We have five shows that yeah. we're rolling out. It'll be 10 this time next year. Yeah. Uh, there's This is one fundamental belief that Grant, Elena, Natalie, and I are totally aligned with. Because I've been an entrepreneur doing amazing things in business for a long time, and I can't get any attention until, until Grant taught me how to. There's so much underserved information on it, people that succeed. You know, 31 and a half million small to mid-sized businesses under 100 million and two-thirds fail in the first five years, 97% fail every 10. So th- only 3% of the businesses succeed. No one talks about them and how they're succeeding and the amazing stories behind it that are so compelling and so rewarding. So we wanted to feature people in that. Yeah. You know, kids that are making changes, all this stuff. So we just decided, let's take our money and create our own series mm-hmm. and, and and start featuring these people. And we're rolling it out. Uh, we'll be rolling it out mid this year. That's Beautiful. awesome. What's it called? Uh, there's five different there's, shows. Yeah. Oh, so so they're going to be. moguls yeah. and yeah. different. By the way, uh, I know we have a cutoff time for you, by the way, and to respect your time. So, and we're a little over. Yeah. Real quick, rapid fire. Okay. Your top three books that change your life. Top three well, books. the 10x rule, most recent one, clearly. 10x rule. Uh, 21, ir- 21 irrefutable laws. Uh, mm-hmm. 10x rule by Grant Cardone. Yep. yep. Uh, 21 irrefutable laws really taught me a lot about leadership, um, and and I think that um, you know it's funny. I I wouldn't have said this, but I'll say it now. Sell or be sold by Grant Cardone as well, because it it rewired my mind um, about a whole bunch of things that I had broken thinking about promotion. Yeah. And the concepts of promotion, I yeah. used to see that as kind of a dirty word. Mm-hmm. Um, but but your every moment of time, we're either selling somebody or we're being sold something. Wow! So you better prepare yourself because you could be selling a better quality of life to another human being. You could be selling how hard or resilience you need to succeed in life. Somebody's paying attention to you. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to ask yourself, what am I presenting into the universe so that other people can have hope or can have enthusiasm or can have a new mentor? So if you're being sold other people's garbage or other people's conditioning or other people's mindset, the only way to counteract that is to be convinced in selling what you believe and where you're going and what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to get saturated with noise. Mm -hmm. And so I really didn't understand. I I thought, oh, it's a sales book. And then I read it and I really understood what he was saying. Like, you better be convinced up here. And the only way you know what's up here is what you're talking about here. I'm definitely going to add this. To the I haven't read book. one yeah. of Grant Cardone's book books, but I will. I, I'll make you that promise yeah. that I'll read um, two of his books. Um, the last question that I'm going to ask you is top three qualities that would make a massively successful entrepreneur. Top three qualities. Yeah. Um, first, resilience. Because I can promise you everything is going to break along the way. Mm. Um, next quality is uh, intellectual curiosity. You you need to learn to ask really good questions, and then that's followed by intellectual awareness. You have to be paying attention to where you're at. If there's resistance, if things are working, if they're not working, because you can be fooled with false confidence. So I say that there's a left side and right side of the way you think and do. The left side of the balance sheet would be intellectual ignorance I like I don't know it doesn't really matter I'm gonna figure it out intellectual arrogance like oh, I got this like I know mm-hmm. um, and the right side is intellectual awareness and intellectual curiosity the more you can operate on the right side and not be on the left side the better chances you are to succeed because here's the thing we've reversed engineered businesses from startup all the way to four billion dollars and we reverse engineered exactly what happens at every break point. The first break point is 100,000 to 3 million. Second is 3 to 8, then 8 to 15, 15 mm-hmm. to 25, 25, 45, 45, 75, 75, 125, wow. all the way up to 4 billion. There is a series of things that happens in, in the bridge between 3 and 4. At each threshold. At each yeah. threshold that if you're not paying attention and if you blow through It'll them, fall apart. you'll reverse just went and collapse. <laughs> and, ha- and, and we've studied 3,900 businesses over 10 years. Wow. And it doesn't usually this, this happens when you're like growing at exponential speed. No, any speed because it still compounds. So, so, so now the faster you grow, the more likely you're going to break faster. Well, I mean, because the this is at least I'm, I'm telling you our yeah. experience because we, we start breaking those thresholds. We built so fast that we neglected just like when I when I asked you that question because I was technically just referencing ours what happened we neglected the back end where like the systems and processes need to be in place where we thought that everybody's going to run the same speed we were running or the same intellectual uh, mind that we without had. systems without without process and given too many placing options. it on people when you place it on people they'll they'll run the same way that they think that the best way they think is the best way because they read a certain well, way or well they, you just you just answered that question so. They will do it the way they think is the best way, and they're practicing, and they haven't done it. And they're the experts, mind you. Yeah, but they're still, supposed I, to be. They're yeah, supposed to be, but I, I think that, that the framework, and this yeah. is something that we've we've adopted a couple of years ago, that we make sure that everything is built on the proper framework, not necessarily our framework, like a framework that worked for whether EOS systems or whatever that is, and put people in the proper departments versus making the departments based on those people's expertise or skill set because it literally... Uh, we dodged a bullet. There's a big void when those people yeah. leave. 
There's a big bo- yeah, a and big even boy. like EOS, you know, a lot of those EOS coaches. The, the issue is those that have not done can't teach, and Boom. so so I always say the best three questions you can ask is what's the most amount of money you've ever made in a year, what's the biggest thing you've ever built, quantified by number of employees, revenues, mm-hmm. and profitability, and then the third question is what's the biggest exit you've ever had. There's so many consultants, advisors, people billing you for for whatever um, business they done. They've never that. done it. And yep. so, and the other thing you have to understand is that depending on what break point you're in, if you're trying to hire someone to come in and help you, um, if they're usually, you're not going to hire people that are three to five break points above you because law of the lid, like why would they go to work for you unless yeah. they're taking a big piece of equity, right? So if they're not talking equity and they're just saying, yeah, I want to come help you. And they're, they're coming from a hundred million dollar company into your 20 million. There's mm-hmm. a problem. The proper okay? ladder approach. Yeah. And the thing is you got to know what, like you got to know what questions to ask. If someone told me I've ran a hundred million dollar company, but they started at that company at 70 million and took it to a hundred and I'm at 20, what you have to do from 20 to 70 is entirely different than what you do from 70 That's to hundred. Mm-hmm. So you have to know what cycle people came from and what their experience was. And then as you get bigger, once you hit that 50 million mark, how well did they play together as a team? Mm-hmm. Because you cannot afford to have unique individual personalities all trying to take the limelight so they can wedge their way into a bigger piece of equity. So there's these cycles that every single business goes through and 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 it just oppresses the opportunity and it wears out the the people involved mm-hmm. with it. So just it, because they're bigger, that doesn't mean they're the right fit. I absolutely will tell you that depending on what cycle they they came from, they can entirely screw up what cycle you're in. Mm-hmm. So you better know what cycle you're in. You better know how to choreograph that conversation mm-hmm. and you better know how to set proper expectations uh, goals because otherwise you're going to have a runaway. And, and, and I see it. That's why only 3% of all businesses make it longer than 10 years. That includes businesses that made it to hundred million. This is year eight for us. Yeah. Good for you guys. <laughs> this yeah, is year so, you know, that should tell you something, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, yeah, this is year eight. Yeah. Uh, Jim Collins call, talks about, um, uh, Productive paranoia, not destructive. Destructive is like, oh my God, everything's going to fall apart. And I'm productive <laughs> is like, what could go wrong next yeah. and how do I ensure it doesn't? And and so my next piece of advice is learn to have a strong productive paranoia. And, and that goes to the quality of your questions. So intellectual curiosity. So the quality of your questions will always determine the quality of your results. If you're not asking good questions, you're going to get poor results. If you're not asking the right questions, you're going to get poor results. This is the first ever podcast by the way this is season two we started our podcast in 2018 we went 50 episodes stopped for like two years this is episode 20 something now in season two this is the first podcast that i'm gonna go and rewatch myself agreed yeah awesome well i, I enjoy being here with so, you guys you guys are doing a great it. job and you've got a good Thank business you, brother. So. we're we're you know we're we're young in the game you know we're young in the game never but, apologize uh, you're in the game there you thank go. you brother and i uh, just want to let you know that you know today I don't know about you, but I have a whole new found of respect for you specifically. And I, I want to let you know that, you know, don't ever discredit yourself. And I know you don't, but, you know, Grant definitely bet on the right horse. Yeah. You know, well, that's stupid. the wisdom. He's not stupid. He, 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 Grant, yeah. Grant's one of the, I can tell you a lot of people are like, oh, you, you know, you, you really helped Grant. I can tell you Grant changed my life. Yeah. Grant and Elena. Yeah. Because I'm only better today because I've taught, I, I, I've learned from Grant. Mm-hmm. things that I didn't even know I should think about in the last three years. And, and, and we need those people in our life. And you got to respect that. Absolutely. Yeah. God bless you, brother. Thank, thank you. That's phenomenal. Guys, Amazing thank you so story. much for tuning in. And uh, yeah, make sure that you share this with somebody. If you're listening through our audio, um, uh, through, uh, is it uh, Apple? No, Apple, Spotify, all those channels, you know, share with somebody. And uh, man, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Brandon. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you guys. We'll catch you on the next one. Um.